0: Already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you! Now, let's get Behind the Bits!
1: ABTB hey, Buddies. This is a repeat of the Lace Larrabee episode done in late 2021. I'm putting it out there because she's on America's Got Talent tonight, 8-9-2022. 20, and to be totally transparent, I'm just taking advantage of the algorithm. But this is a great episode. If you missed it, it's a great one to listen to. If you didn't miss it, it's a great one to listen to again. So here's Lace Larrabee. My guest tonight is an Atlanta-based nationally touring comedian and actor who can be seen all over the country. She was named Best Local Comedian in 2018 by the readers of Creative Loafing Magazine. I need to subscribe to that. You have seen her on Viceland's Flophouse as well as the Fox shows Laughs, Dish Nation, and Punchline. And there's a lot more, too. If that's not enough, in order to give back to aspiring female comics, she started an all-female comedy class called Laugh Lab at the legendary Punchline Comedy Club. Folks, it's Lace Larrabee. Lace!
0: Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm
1: great. Thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Of course. Hey, first of all, I would like to say I just met Gwen Sunkel at... Yeah, at uh, the Comedy Festival in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh Um, And we just had an absolute blast together. She was one of, I don't want to like pick favorites, but if I, if there were a contest as to who was my favorite comedian that I met and hung out with the whole weekend, I gotta say it was Gwen's uncle. Yeah,
1: yeah. It
0: was absolutely incredible oh and that was limestone by the way for those of you who don't know what festival it is in bloomington it is um it is limestone and she is based in indianapolis like you said and i had never met her and i saw her do a set one night and i fell in love immediately and Uh then we clicked and we hung out the whole weekend and on the way out the last day i was like at one of the coffee shops that like sponsored the festival Uh and who walks in when i'm in my like ready to hit the road and go get an airport look is gwen and i I was like this was meant to be she was my last goodbye in bloomington (laughs) she was like my first love there and then my last goodbye and i was like we she might be my next spouse like i think (laughs) i think when i you know probably inevitably when my husband is done with my shit that uh (laughs) I'm going to have to call up Gwen (laughs) Sunkel. She's so cool. I freaking love her. I'm so glad you shouted her out. I'm just.
1: I'm yeah, and I can't wait for the album to come out. I mean, I we're not know, going to see it till too. next year, but I'm, I know, I'm, I know. I'm really stoked for it. So, I do a diversity check on my podcast sometimes to make sure I'm talking to enough women, people of color. Between you and her, I've done three women in a row. So, I think I'm up to 15% women when yours comes out. So, okay. I think that's okay. Scott, of that's, color, that's I think not I'm enough. 20%. It's not yeah, enough.
0: But. <laughs> You're doing good. Hey, the (laughs) fact that you're checking is more than most people are doing. Yeah. Uh, But uh, we could do better. We could do better. I I I teach an all women's comedy class and I can assure you that there are way more women doing comedy. than. All right. Well, send
1: them my way. I I don't I I never say no, but some women say no to me. Uh, Paula Poundstone. I'll just shout that out. Damn it, Paula. What's wrong with you? We got to get
0: Paula on. Paula's one of my favorites. (laughs) I listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me every single weekend, and she is on, I don't know, what, 30% of the time? She's one of the panelists, and come on, Paula.
1: Oh, man. I did get (laughs) to see her up in uh, Coldwater, Michigan couple of years oh, yeah? ago and it was a great show i didn't know she did so much crowd work but she, it was fantastic she's
0: incredible she is incredible on the spot that's one of the best things that she does yeah and i'm I'm gonna say i've never seen her live but like i've watched so many clips of hers and like i said i'm a massive fan of wait wait so yeah, uh, yeah i just she's so good with the guests and with with the hosts and everything she's quippier than anyone else. That's her whole yeah. jam.
1: I did want to mention the first, I, you know, I've only seen you once and I saw you here in Huntsville. My wife and I moved yes. down to Huntsville and the first uh, comedy show that we saw was the one that uh, Scott Eason puts on there at Low Mills. And we yes. saw you and laughed. We, we, we laughed and laughed and laughed. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I kind of called you a Leanne Morgan for people who don't mind hearing fuck.
0: If I could pay you for that quip, I'm going to write that down into my new bio. Yeah. There you go. For people who don't mind hearing fuck. Yeah. Um, I love that. She, she, another idol of mine, Mm I worked with her. I did some TV with her back in the day. And uh, Leanne Morgan is it. She's the fact that. So many people are just now finding out who she is, blows mm-hmm. my mind because I've known yeah. who she is for years. She is so funny. And the fact she is what's his name who I love. He's one of the Brian Regan. She's oh, yeah. like the female Brian Regan. Yeah. Yeah. How is she so clean and so funny and right. so Southern? Yeah. Like I am the funny and the Southern, I hope. I mean, I'm uh-huh. the Southern. There's no getting around that. But like, I hope I'm that funny. But damn it, that's a great fucking reference that is all right all right oh oh man (laughs) I'm glad
1: you took it the right way
0: (laughs) I'm writing that down no that's good that's good I'll take it
1: I did a little bit of looking and unfortunately somebody did a really great print interview with you so I know everything about you now so everything (laughs) I ask I already know let's talk about how you got into comedy and why you got into comedy
0: I mean I love comedy always been a fan of comedy my family's very funny. My family, my parents had me when I was a teenager, or when they, when I was a teenager. That's weird. <laughs> they had me when I was a teenager so let's get in the DeLorean and figure out how that happened Um, no they were teenagers when they had me man we were young and poor as a family and we all were raised together so and thankfully both of them had a really great sense of humor and that's how we got through all hard things right Mm -hmm. we and my parents are still together and uh, I mean if it weren't for the sense of humor I don't think all that would be true I wouldn't be Mm -hmm. doing comedy I wouldn't have two amazing supporting parents supporting of parents but uh yeah always been a fan of comedy because my parents were young they let me watch stuff when i was younger i was also the i'm obviously the firstborn. i always felt like i was being raised with the adults because they were becoming adults when i was a kid
1: mm-hmm. so it's
0: like they let me in on adult things and they thought it was okay for me to watch and yeah. they thought i could take it and i did and i i loved it big fan i always i didn't know how to get into comedy but Long story short, after years of performing as an actor and a pageant girl and all that stuff, the things I had access to, you know, in Mm -hmm. South Georgia, I um, was bartending for years, pursuing acting again in my adulthood. Nothing was really taken off, just a bunch of auditions that went nowhere. And I had a regular at my bar who started running shows. He knew that I loved comedy and knew that i was too busy to get into it and he booked me on a show he was running and mm-hmm. said you've got two months or three months whatever it was at the time to prepare you've got to do 10 minutes on a show oh wow yeah and as any comic <laughs> knows that's a lot yeah <laughs> like, that's <laughs> 10 minutes might sound like nothing to people who are like oh i can do comedy i got hours oh, yeah. of material i've never been on stage but i got hours <laughs>
1: I see that a lot, yeah.
0: Which is most people who come up to you and are like, I'm ready to do comedy. I got yeah. hours. And you're like, oh, cool. How many shows? And they're like, none. I'm like, <laughs> so you got a tight 30 seconds is what yep. I'm hearing. A tight 30 seconds. Um. Yeah, so thankfully I loved comedy and I was obsessed over it. And I had studied it enough. And had been on stage enough that like the stage part didn't scare me, and the holding mm. the mic and the mm-hmm. addressing the audience, which is half the battle, you know, that didn't mm-hmm. scare me. So I kind of studied it, and I just I wrote jokes about my life. I got on stage. I did a I gotta say I did a decent eight and a half. And yeah, that's uh, great. yeah that first video of the first time I got on stage got me into the first two comedy festivals I ever got into.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: nobody. So likes you, to you're hear that.
1: you're kind of a natural. You're you were born for this.
0: I I, honestly, listen, I used to be ashamed of that. I used to try to hide it. I used to, I think even in a few early interviews, I tried to like pad it a little bit more. Uh And honestly, at this point, like in my late thirties, I'm like, screw it. That's, I worked my ass off my whole life. You know, like I earned that moment. The first time I did stand up was the thing that changed my life for the better, you know? Saved me from a really bad relationship I had just gotten out of and a horrible job Mm -hmm. I was in, and I quit Mm -hmm. the job. I got rid of the ex, and uh, stand-up was like the freeing moment of my life. So Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of it now. I used to, like, try to cover it up, and honestly, hell, of course I was good. Of course I was good the first time. I had a lot of shit to bitch about. So (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: (laughs) And your your style is very – conversational and story driven. And yes. you're very good at making your time on stage feel like it's the first time you said it. Man, and the, and I know that's, that's what a huge really draws, compliment. Yeah, that's, Thanks. that's what really draws an audience in because they, you know, audiences always want to be the first to hear something. And, you know, I, I just saw that in you. I it just felt like first time you said it. And Please. I know that's not the case because I know how many times you have to say it before you get it right. <laughs>
0: yeah, so you know the behind the bits. Uh, yeah, so you know that's <laughs> you know that's not how it works. Now, granted, I would say I don't know which shows you came to on the weekend of the Epic Comedy Hour ten uh, year anniversary because there were a couple shows uh, that maybe some things I said were the first time I <laughs> said. Yeah, we did the. <laughs> We did the, the, what was it? Drunk, sober high show. Okay. And I, ch- I chose to be the high one. Uh-huh. I was, I was originally, um, supposed to be the sober one on the show. Okay. And I, uh, I worked behind the scenes, uh, with someone who was picked to be one of the high ones. And I was like, could I just, when I saw that the high thing was an option of, um, edible fruity pebbles,
1: there you go. I don't know how clean yeah. we
0: need to be, but you no, know, you don't, edible you don't Fruity Pebbles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Fruity Pebbles full of weed. I was like, can I do that? I was like, I heard don't smoke a lot or do a lot. I was like, can I, I would, I'm out of town. I, am, I have no thing. I have nothing to do tomorrow. Can I eat the Fruity Pebbles instead? And uh, uh-huh. this other comic let me do that. So that night on stage, um, I did do stuff I've never said on stage ever Uh before so I don't think that you're referring to that night yeah (laughs)
1: that
0: was totally different yeah it was it was a
1: showcase uh Dwight Simmons was on it and Alex was on it so I I, I think it was Saturday night was it Saturday I think yeah
0: Friday maybe was the one where it was like the first one the good one where we weren't all sloshed and or high I mean it was yeah we were all trying to be professionals I think Uh that's the one you saw
1: what does it feel like to be up there? I mean, do you remember what you said uh, when you were high? I mean, how much did it <laughs> kick in before you got yes. up there?
0: Yes, that's what's funny. Okay, so that's the difference. Like, I'm not a huge drug person or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent so much of my life being like a pageant kid. And before yeah. that, I was a cheerleader. And I've always I was like, president of the uh the fbla and Uh and student council and i was a gifted student so i was like the super nerdy like clean like you know party pooper for a long time and i was just driven and just focused on the future so i'm not really like that person i haven't like really experimented with a lot of stuff Mm. and uh, weed is the only thing and it's only literally past 30 was when i started like trying weed and i Uh only really like edibles like I can't smoke. I cough too hard. Yeah. Um, so like I'm super nerdy about it. But my favorite thing for any listeners who like to drink, the difference between getting a little too drunk and getting a little too high, you remember everything when you're high. Yeah. That's what's <laughs> weird. When you can get drunk, black out. You can like move to another country, yeah. commit some crimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> you not know what the hell you participated in. When you're high though it's weird it's like this weird like state of just like you're suspended yeah and you're you're there and you remember it but it's so silly and that i honestly wish i would have known more about weed back in the day instead of alcohol Mm -hmm. because i think that would have been my first vice really because it's uh and now it's just an occasional thing but it's man it's so much more fun so yeah when i was picked for the when i got to when i weaseled my way into being the high person on the show um (laughs) i enjoyed the hell out of it i remembered everything i said but i remember laughing harder on stage at the dumbest jokes i've ever written oh yeah i laughed harder yeah the the giggles giggles, dude i got giggle fits like i've never gotten in my life on stage Uh. and i remember that moment like like, it, it was better than any moment of, like, killing with material that is tried and true, that I've worked on, that I've tagged the hell out of, that uh-huh. is delivered in the perfect way to the perfect audience. <laughs> Just giggling my ass off at some half-written jokes yeah. in my notes in my phone. <laughs> Honestly, I remember every bit of it, and it was so fun and so much funnier. So, That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, all all great. I can say is I've been there, so... Yeah. I. I, I... <laughs> and and i've been a little bit too much too and right
0: yeah oh it was too much yeah there's no way i could have headlined a show with that amount of fruity pebbles in Uh. my system (laughs) let's be clear like i couldn't headline and let me tell the other thing about it is i think we were also do like seven minutes and i think i was like two minutes in, and i was like man i've been up here for way too long I have ran the light and they're like, uh, bitch, you're two minutes in. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got to do five more minutes. Oh, It's terrifying. all the classic stuff.
1: You're suspended in animation. <laughs> yes, time, yes. time slows down. Time it's, it's, down. It's, it's great.
0: So, so I say all that to say uh, freaking Scott Eason puts on an incredible 10-year <laughs> yeah. reunion of his yeah. show. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh man it was the best he's he's a great guy and it's funny when I when I came to Huntsville I went to an open mic that he runs and I first of all I'm not a real chatty guy unless we're talking about something like this like something that's important to both of us I don't like talk about the weather or sports or anything like that so I went up I said hi Scott my name's Scott I'm from South Bend and I'll be on the list tonight and then I walked away and talked to another uh, comedian and then I went up And he was, I think he was expecting me to be like a first timer. I decided, okay, I'm not going to work out anything new. I'm going to bring the greatest hits and give you five minutes to show you who Scott Curtis is. And and when he was done, he was like, like, oh, so you're a real comic then, huh?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you come up and you have just such a brief intro like that, everyone expects like, oh, this guy's nervous. Like, that's why he probably thought like, oh, well. You're just saying that to get it out of the way because you got to get your nerves out of the way. Yeah, so yeah. smart, smart move, real slick, real yeah, slick thank of you.
1: Your act, like I said, is very polished and it's seamless. So let's think about your act now versus when you started. I, I know that mm. that first 10 minutes got you into a lot of stuff and got you really the ball rolling for you, but mm-hmm. what, how has things changed from when you started to now?
0: Oh man. So the biggest thing that changed was my delivery. I think two things. Let's let's be honest. So d- delivery for sure is what changed everything because delivery didn't just change me on stage, it also changed how I was writing. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are connected, right? So when you very first start, so many people are are filled with the fear of like what if the audience doesn't like me, right? So mm-hmm. we tend to accidentally write for the audience instead of writing for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So many of us make that mistake. And I think that goes hand in hand with, well, if I'm writing for the audience, I need to deliver like a comedian. And we tell ourselves that, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. doing one thing wrong, you're going to do the other thing wrong. So I think over time and being exposed to so many more audiences, Uh, in so many different areas and doing different amounts of time on stage. When you go from doing, you know, a type five to a seven, to a 10, to a 15, to a 25, to a 30, you have to gradually get more comfortable with your voice Mm -hmm. and more comfortable. And that goes hand in hand with your writing. So you've got to get more comfortable with your writing. So the biggest difference is when I first started, got to be honest, that first set wasn't bad because I just, I wrote from what I knew. I made fun of my Mm -hmm. name, my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, the relationship I had just gotten out of, Mm -hmm. uh, and the job I had at the time. Those Mm -hmm. weren't hard subjects. I had the material. I knew the rhythm of stand-up, so I wrote those, Um, and it worked. Mm -hmm. What happened, though, is I got in a rhythm of, well, this thing worked, so I can't switch it up. If I write Mm -hmm. a new thing, it's got to fall exactly in line with the other thing I wrote. And it can't change up from there. And then mm-hmm. I was terrified of being on stage without having a full plan every single time from first word to last word. Uh-huh. And so I got a little robotic. And I think a lot of comics in their first two years get very robotic because they're scared if I mess up the audio. If this works, then the audience might not like me if I don't do exactly what I know what works. Right? right. Mm-hmm. And then a moment happens... So the man I'm married to now, uh, he was doing comedy at the time. He had been doing it for like 13 years, I think, when we met or something like that. He's done comedy for like 20 years, and Mm -hmm. he's taking a hiatus off right now, so he's not really doing it right now. He did it for a long time, lived in L.A. for a while, was on Comedy Central and a million other things. And uh, I lucked up, and he took me on the road with him very early on when we Mm -hmm. met and we started dating. And he's like, you're really funny. And it wasn't just because I was hot. I mean, I know that was a part of it, but that wasn't all. (laughs) But he genuinely was like, he had taken other women on the road before and guys. He had taken both guys and girls on the road and everything else. And he met me and he was like, well, she's funny, but she's also single. I'm single. Let's let me take her on the road. And then he didn't mind giving me harsh truths early on. Uh And one of the biggest things he did for me very early on in comedy was I was, we were in Cincinnati one night. We were working Go Bananas. I had been in comedy for like a year and a half. And in the green room after my feature set, he said, you sound like you're trying to sound like a comedian. And then he like walked off to do his hour. And I Uh sat in that green room and just, I cried. Yeah. (laughs) That was hard to hear. Yeah. Because I had been doing comedy for, like I said, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. thought I had built up from a five, you know, granted an eight back to a five, to a 10, to a this, a... I'd worked my way up. I had already featured at multiple places. And mm-hmm. then to be told that I still, in my mind, I'm a feature at clubs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean? I still sound like I'm trying to be a comedian. And I took it really hard. That is what shook me up for me to go, okay. Why do I sound like I'm trying to be a comedian? And then I switched it to let me just talk like I talk in person and just go with what happens, like in a conversation. As long Mm. as you have a game plan as to what you will end on when you need to end, plan ahead, you can have a good time in between and still Mm. be funny. If you have enough tried and true material, you can fucking relax. You don't have to stress out every single time. And that was my biggest problem. That was a very long answer to a very simple question, but stopping writing for the audience, write for yourself, write what Mm -hmm. makes you laugh, and then deliver it in the way that still makes you laugh. Deliver it like you would if you were at a party and talking to a group of friends.
1: Yeah, that's a really important thing. I, I started later. I didn't start until I was 52, and I didn't really realize that fact of do what's funny and don't try to sound like a comedian until just like a year ago, and and
0: it hurts, right? When you realize oh, yeah. it, like it what, makes you think, like it hurts well, you when you, watch you
1: were- your yeah, when you watch your film,
0: <laughs> and that's what it took too. When he said that, I was pissed. I was like, "What? What are you talking?" I was like, "I do. I'm great on stage. I get laughs every time." Uh And what I didn't realize, I wasn't getting laughs as many times as I could get laughs. And I wasn't getting as genuine of laughs. I was getting, like, laughs because, okay, that was written funny. I wasn't getting laughs because I was making people laugh. Does that make sense?
1: I think what you're saying is you weren't making yourself a sympathetic character. You were pretty much reading the jokes. I was almost making like jokes. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. was
0: writing jokes. They were about me, but I wasn't as in on it as the audience needed me to be. And yeah. then I started speaking from a more real perspective and being like, no, 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 y'all. I know I'm saying this and I know mm-hmm. I look like X, Y, Z, but let me tell you blah, blah, blah. Right,
1: right. And then
0: I started learning how to tag jokes to make them more understandable to an audience based on their perceptions of me and and that's another big thing you got to start to realize people's perceptions of you if you don't Mm -hmm. understand how strangers take you you're never going to be a good comedian you have to know how everybody else sees you because if not you sound ridiculous so that's another switch too and that's just that's just experience as Mm -hmm. well i think yeah you
1: know and it's it's hard to live up to that because you know in, in my case I'm six five I'm a giant and people <laughs> are scared of me when they see me because I I look at like <laughs> an intense guy and and yeah. that's so far from the truth then my delivery is a lot like David Letterman so people say your delivery is like David Letterman. I said well you know I I watched him a lot but this is really me. So, yeah. I, and I can't move away from it. I say, golly, I do, you know, I do all the stupid stuff that Midwesterners do and yeah. open everything else. So that, you know, yeah. it's just what it is. I understand that. And I tried, cause I'm pretty clean. I could open for Leanne Morgan easily. Um, but, uh, <laughs> which was, but, which
0: let's be honest, if this gets to her, I can also work clean and I work clean all the time when I'm paying all right. for it. So let's not say I don't, I just knew they didn't have to be in Huntsville, but, uh, Leanne, I'm happy to work with you. I can be very clean.
1: She'd be lucky to have you. Yeah. Oh,
0: I would love to work with her. Oh, she has the best crowds. She, my, she's my mom's favorite comedian. So let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She, I mean, she's just absolutely hilarious. And I'll see the same bit three times and laugh three times. Still laugh every single time. Oh, she's a
0: genius. Her delivery is amazing. Uh Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Now, I want to make sure that because you're doing such a great thing, I want to make sure that we talk about Laugh Lab. Uh, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but it's such a great thing that you're doing because I've been in classes before. A lot of times it's five white guys and (laughs) <laughs> One woman, it is what it is, and whether it's on purpose or not, the woman's comedy sometimes gets stifled unless, uh, unless mm-hmm. she's super confident and ready to go. So, let's talk about why you started Laugh Lab and what you do with it.
0: Sure, thank you so much. I, uh, so it's funny, it's four years ago, uh, this. Almost week. Uh, I think a week ago today was the four-year anniversary of the first time I announced online that I was going to teach the class. It graduated the first week of December four years ago. Um, I started it because I was helping three different women in Atlanta who all started comedy like over forty, mm-hmm. and they had all decided that they had gone out and tried the open mic scene, and they were like this is ridiculous there. They were not getting anywhere in it. They hated it. They hated the process of going through like the waiting until midnight or later on a Wednesday to get stage time for four minutes at a time. And they're like, there's gotta be more to this. All of them had different goals. One Mm -hmm. of them had a goal of like doing one woman show. One had a goal of being a motivational speaker. Instead, one had a goal of specifically working, um, in, the realm that she, she was Jewish and she's a mother and she's all these things. And she's like, I want to specifically work for the people who were looking for exactly me. Mm. And I was like, yeah, private gigs. That's a whole world girl. Yeah. yeah. It's good. <laughs> good goal. Like let's do it. And so they all wanted to perfect their material. One recommended me to the other one recommended me to the other. Once that got around, I was working with all of them privately and they were, people were started hitting me up. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I cannot continue to do this. I'm pursuing my own career. What if I just taught a class? So I hit up the punchline, the Atlanta punchline, mm-hmm. who's one of my home clubs, the laughing skull and the punchline. I would always say both of my home clubs, mm-hmm. love them equally. And uh, the punchline's like family to me. And I was like, if I want to teach a class, what are the, what's the deal? Could I do it here? We worked out a great deal. And then I advertised a class. I was like, let me get this out of the way. Let me help whoever wants to do this. So I put it out there. I said all women's class. And I said all women specifically because every woman I had talked to discussed all of their hurdles being out there in the open mic world. Mm -hmm. So many of them had to do with getting railroaded by guys at shows. They would interrupt them. They would ignore them. They tried to introduce themselves and it just wouldn't get them anywhere. Worst case scenario, they were sexually assaulted one way or the other, you know, whether verbally or immediately after some dude would send him a dick pic or whatever. And it just happened over and over and over. And, or guys would ask him to open for them, but they were really just trying to hook up and I just heard the story so many times from so many people that I can't even count it. It's everybody. It's almost every woman I know who started comedy who had either a negative, like, you don't matter, you're not funny, women aren't funny, you're just Mm. Amy Schumer reaction, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or because like they can't just see that every woman has a different story to tell and they just go, oh, you said the word vagina. You're just Amy Schumer. There's no way you could have a different take on your most important body part. How could that possibly be the case? Yeah. And then, you know, and if you talked about being married, they're like, oh, you're just every other female comic. And I'm like, every dude I know has a joke about dating or being married or their penis mm-hmm. or whatever. So many women were railroaded and ignored and then or hit on and then they all quit. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let me teach a class. I opened up a class. it sold out immediately. I was like, what am I doing? What did I sign up for? I taught them. They were great. Then I had a wait list. And then the next class. <laughs> I taught a whole class, and before I finished that one, there was a wait list, and there were six-week-long classes, and there was a wait list. I am right now teaching my 27th class in four years, and during the pandemic, I had to switch it up, and now I do a co-ed class as well, so they're not all all women anymore. I've done three co-ed classes now. Uh, But I still offset those from, I still do the all women class. Like Mm. that's what so many women sign up for because so many of them either had a horrible experience in the open mic world Mm. or they took a class that was exactly like you described. There was one woman in the class or two, and it was taught Mm. by a dude and no offense to the dudes, but they were just like, Oh, could you not talk about your period? And they're like, well, I don't know. That's a third of my life. So how do I not... (laughs) So you don't, so is everyone not allowed to talk about food? Like, what are you not allowed to talk about? You know, like, that's my experience. And you just don't think it's funny because you don't experience it, but you forget that 50% of the audience and the major ticket buyers are all women. People forget that. So I have just like pumped out all these women. And now the majority of shows ran in Atlanta and the Atlanta area are uh, Atlanta, Atlanta surrounding area are all shows ran by women that took my class.
1: Wow. That's great.
0: So I accidentally took over by doing that.
1: (laughs) Now I have a cult. Yeah. And I love it because. We all need a cult.
0: Listen, and I'm going to (laughs) be honest. There's not enough female cult leaders out there. Uh So I'm proud to take that position.
1: Yeah. And and you're doing it in the right way. Yeah, And I appreciate that. Let me ask you something about your tact because I'm an older gentleman. You're an adult. And a lot of people who start comedy, it seems like they're either twenty-two or forty-two, and and it, so it, true. It, it, it's a big it's, chunk. It's it's probably two-thirds yes. of the people that start comedy. How do you approach a twenty-two-year-old versus a forty-two-year-old as far as coaching them?
0: Okay, so that's a great question because in my classes, level two is the only class that you have to apply for. And Mm -hmm. the only prerequisite is to have finished one of my level one classes. So my level Mm -hmm. one classes, there is no limit to who takes it, right?
1: Okay. You -hmm. just,
0: you have to click the button that says I identify as female, blah, blah, blah. Like, and that's Mm -hmm. about it. Other than that, I've had every single class. I have a range from 21 because I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think I've had a 20, I don't think I've had a 20 year old. I might've put in there that I only take 21 and up because the club serves alcohol. So I don't want to be in that weird position. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure everyone I've had is 21. And then I've had all the way up to 80 and every class I have women of every, every single decade, like 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, almost every single time. Um, it's rare. It's more rare that I have the women in their seventies, but I've had at least five women in their 70s take my class wow. and then lots of women in their 60s tons of women in their 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s it's not a bad observation i think what you're seeing is people who actually hit the scene and do it which are gonna generally be people in their 20s who have the free time to do it right yeah and mm-hmm. then usually women in their 40s who've hit their part of their lives where they're like fuck it i don't care what anybody thinks of me anymore yeah. they're probably either divorced or they just got out of a bad relationship or mm-hmm. you know whatever and they're like i'm gonna attempt it Um, so I totally see why those are the most represented women in, you know, starting in comedy and other scenes, but, uh, in my class, it's everybody. And I approach it the exact same way. I start in the exact same manner. I go, we've all had life experiences. So when I encourage them to write, when they sign up for the class, I go, start writing. Don't try Mm -hmm. to write jokes. Just write your experiences and your observations. That's it. Mm -hmm. Just start there. And then in class, what I essentially, what I promise to everyone is in six weeks, I will teach you what it took me a year to learn and stand up. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a fast forwarded version of a very harsh open mic every week Mm -hmm. until we get the finished product. And so I don't really approach it any different way. If people come in and they go, I want to do a whole clean set. Mm -hmm. I'm all on board with that. And I guide them that way. That's pretty much the only difference that I make is like when I'm guiding material is if someone says they want to be clean or not. Other than that, a 21-year-old's perspective is just as valid as a 71-year-old's perspective because that's their life experience. The biggest thing that separates is I just encourage no punching down. I encourage punching up. So I eliminate any punching down, which is funny because a 71-year-old, there's not much Punching down, they're going to do. They've lived seventy-one years, you know. Like their yeah. their experience totally valid. If they want to shit on a twenty-one-year-old, they're more than welcome to. But if the twenty-one-year-old yeah. wants to shit on the seventy-one-year-old, I'm like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. Good luck getting sympathy from the audience or from your your classmates. Yeah. Good luck. You know. Yeah. All you so, get is okay,
1: boomer. That's all you get. Yeah. Ex-
0: you can say okay, boomer, and that's about it. Other than that, yeah. you're kind of on your own. You're on your own, girl. But yeah, I don't. I do not because I feel like it's the same thing. I'm there to help make their observations and experiences concise, tight, and be in the right order. Which is mm-hmm. the funniest thing is the last thing they say and make sure right. they have a very clear setup. Other mm-hmm. and, and make sure their act outs and everything else are as as big as they can be
1: right. if
0: they're necessary in that joke. Other than that, I don't approach it any differently because I'm like. Mm-hmm. If you're on stage holding the mic, you're here for a reason. Something mm. got you here. Now, do I do I generally think that the women like fifty and over are funnier? hundred percent, because they mm-hmm. are, because they have more shit to talk about, yeah, and they've experienced more.
1: Yeah, and that, they're. Well, I think older people are just more comfortable in their skin, and they. Yeah. they it, it nothing they. I mean, when you've seen as much as you've seen,
0: yes. going up on
1: stage isn't as big of a deal
0: exactly and it's not as big of a deal to them and that and and if you are over 50 and you've signed up for a stand-up comedy class you've been through some shit and i'm ready to hear it and i bet yeah. you it's funnier <laughs> than any and i'm just there to help guide it to make sure it's tight and stage ready uh-huh. and i am not there to change it in any way unless it's the occasional like un unwoke is not the correct term to use but if it's like <laughs> if it's a little, and I'm like, have you been around people in a while? Like, you yeah. you're not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> you gotta, we gotta tone that back a little bit. Let's not talk about your taxi driver. That one time you were in Amsterdam. Like, that's not a thing. We yeah. can't call him that. You know what I mean? Like we gotta right. like, <laughs> so I, every now and then I got to tone down some, like, uh, we haven't been in public in a while. Yeah. Uh, kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> But other than that, our, our, I, I've got to say my favorites are people who've lived a have lived a life and have something to talk about. So yeah. yeah,
1: I just bet that that's such an appreciated part of the Atlanta scene. And I hate saying the word safe space, but creating a space where you can be creative mm-hmm. and not worry about somebody hitting on you, somebody thinking your jokes are stupid because they're mm-hmm. geared towards a uh, more woman's point of view and things like mm-hmm. that, I, I I can really appreciate that because I've seen it. And uh, Gwen yeah. and I actually talked about it a little bit. And I'd had so many women on the show. I don't feel like I'm sitting in the proper seat to talk about how Bad comedy can be for women, and how how many bad experiences you can have. So I never oh. asked it, but Gwen had talked about it before, and I said, "Can I please talk about this?" And yes, said was I was okay, just about to say, did. "You're yeah.
0: no, you're in the perfect seat to do it." What are you talking about? You're middle-aged yeah. white dude. That's yeah. the best seat to be in. <laughs> that's all we want is someone else to just be a tiny bit. Women are bombarded with empathy. Like that's all. Yeah. That's what we have to. Fight and carry all day, every effing day is just Mm -hmm. trying to think about everyone around, whether we want to or not. It's just in our freaking blood. It's annoying, honestly. And it would be great to have someone outside of us and our friends sit around and go, Wait a second, what are y'all experiencing?
1: What Uh do you think?
0: What does it feel like for you? Why is it shitty for women in comedy? Like, that's all we want is someone uh-huh. to just go, Hey, let's listen. Instead of saying, Hey, you know how you could fix it. Maybe you could all come back to open mics again. Maybe <laughs> don't drop out of comedy. Cause that's what I used to hear constantly for the first six years I was in standup, every mm-hmm. scene I went to all over the country. I go, that's weird. There are no, wi- it feels like there's no women here in this scene. And they'd go, yeah, they all quit. And yeah. then I'm like, looking around, I'm like, why do they all quit? Why don't yeah. you ask us? Yeah. Why don't y'all yeah, start no with asking the question, what's yeah. wrong? Why are they not coming back? Is it because they're not funny or because mm-hmm. this is a hostile environment? Like, yeah. what is it? Yeah. It's probably the latter. I'm going to mm-hmm. be honest. It's going to be the latter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's uh, great yeah. to ask the question. Of course, you're in, the, you're in the perfect position to ask the yeah. question. That's all we want is someone else to just be a tiny bit empathetic and just go, what's the deal? What's mm-hmm. the problem?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So please and, and- don't hold back from asking that.
1: After talking to Gwen and now you, I feel more comfortable with it. And you know Good. what? I'm an old married man. I've been with the same woman for 38 years and I have a daughter. And I don't think any of that shit's appropriate. And I don't know why men think Good. they can do it. So that's that, That's my Good. thing. And I raise my kids oh. not to be like that. And uh, I love so, that. yeah. But uh, it, and it bothers me because I know a lot of, young women comics that have been through that stuff and you yeah. know it, i just want to be the dad i just want to be the dad or the grandpa and just beat people up but i can't do that <laughs> so but um i wanted to but ask you can
0: you, but you can i can Scott, yeah. you can you yeah, can, if be I can at get the away shows, with shows, yeah. and if you can see things going down you can't go what's going on here yeah, yeah. now you need to apologize to her yeah and you need to say that that's not appropriate here don't talk like that to people and you yeah. should do that why yep, not? Yep, I'm that yep. person. It shows I'm yeah. not even a mom yet, yeah. but I, I'm that person. I've been acting like a mom of the scene for years. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's another reason I started the class. Cause like, I don't have any kids and I want to pass something down. And I'm like, let me like, what can I give back? Like, I, I want to make more of me. So uh-huh. I don't know. You know, there's nothing wrong. Be the dad. Be the dad, Scott.
1: Yeah, Do it. Well, I I am. I just don't – I I have to be careful because I'm a large man and people are already afraid of me. That's right.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: What did you learn about yourself teaching that class?
0: Wow. I learned that I am funnier on the spot than I thought I was. Mm. So when women are just running their material and I go to tag their stuff, things are coming to me left and right because, you Mm -hmm. know, as an artist, it is – when we sit down to write just for ourselves, it is the most painful thing you can possibly do. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. You're like, Oh my God, the last thing I want to do is think about myself and my experiences and sit here or listen to your tapes or listen to your recordings and then tag them and talk about uh, that. That's the last thing I want to do. And I'm mm-hmm. like, maybe I don't want to write new stuff because I don't have it in me. Maybe I'm not creative enough. You know, you mm-hmm. beat yourself up for those things. And then what I realize is when it's not about me and it's someone else and I'm not attached to it. Like there's some TV shows that I've done that I I got to write on topics and headlines and stuff like that, and that was thousand times easier than mm-hmm. writing sitting down and writing for myself. Right. If it's not about me, yeah. I, I can't stop. Uh-huh. I'm, I, and I'm giving people tags that are like that's It's not even my style, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm I'm just you've now inspired me because you're making me right because I like what you're go. I see where you're going and I want to help you go there. And Mm -hmm. my brain works faster when I am, when it's not about me. So that was the most, yeah. yeah, And that was the most helpful slash frustrating thing that I learned. Why have I not in this past decade done that for myself? Like that people are paying me for their time and I'm there and I'm teaching them. And I feel even more inspired to help when I'm being paid for my time Mm -hmm. But it's like, why won't I do that for myself when I have Mm -hmm. free time? Why am I so frustrated and stressed out, you know, with my own writing when I can write so easily for other people? And I'm not writing Mm -hmm. their jokes. I'm just tagging and or suggesting. I'm just like, I see people with an idea when they have rough ideas. And I'm just like, oh, you know what you should do with that? You could go this way. You go that way. And then I inspire them. And then I'm like, why am I not doing that for me?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: That's been that's, it's been a beautiful slash, like I said, frustrating thing.
1: Uh-huh. It is painful. It, it, it's, yeah. it's so painful to look at your life. La- it's painful to look at your last bit and it's painful mm-hmm. to look at your last year. And it's, it's hard. And it's but- always
0: hard. Yeah. Yeah. And the know that I could do it for other people when it's not about me, I'm like, what's well, Oh, oh yeah. shit. What am I, <laughs> what am I ignoring with me? Oh yeah. no. <laughs> this is something I got to work out. Oh, I don't, oh man. Yeah, that's frustrating. that's frustrating. So I
1: wanted to ask you in recent years, you've had a lot of good experience acting that seems to be rolling for you a little bit. What happens if you become like a big star and all of a sudden you're getting put in movies and stuff like that, and it takes away from your comedy career? If you had the opportunity, would you walk away from comedy or would you still make time? No.
0: For no, no, the goal is always to for one to feed the other. Like that's mm. it. And that's what I've experienced so far. And I'm glad that from the outside it seems that things are going really well because it's it's because so i I started acting when I was nine.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Obviously things didn't like take off. I ended up having to like, do pageants for a long time and then I had to go to college and then I did this and I did that and I bartended for 12 years and I did so much in between and then nothing was happening and once I did comedy and then got good at comedy then acting started taking off and then Mm -hmm. once I started getting better acting gigs then I would get better comedy gigs and then Uh. it's vice versa (laughs) so it's Uh like the comedy world takes you more seriously the more credits you get. Well, the acting world takes you more seriously the better you are at auditions. And I was better at auditions because I was so much, I was getting better on stage. Because the more comfortable mm. you are with yourself, right? That we learn in stand-up, the more comfortable I am on camera. So mm. it all just feeds itself. But here's what's funny is the acting gigs that I get are um, directly related to me as a comedian. Like they're all... All the best stuff that I've gotten have been reporter and host roles, which yeah. is just me.
1: Uh-huh. I'm
0: not a character <laughs> when I'm doing that. I'm just me. So yeah. I audition five times a week, if not more, through my agency. So mm. I'm auditioning constantly, but everything I get booked on are all host and reporter roles, which is just me talking into a uh-huh.
1: mic. Right.
0: And then what do I do best <laughs> but talk into a mic. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like they feed you each other. They didn't even have other. to tell you
1: how to hold it.
0: Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm like, dude, I got 90% of this. You just tell me the words. I got yeah. the rest. I'm so good at this. <laughs> so it's funny. Like, I used to be like, oh, I'm going to be this actor one day. And then uh-huh. the more I got into it, I was like, I think I'm just good at being me. I don't know yeah. how great I am at being a character as much as I am just comfortable in my own skin. And mm-hmm. now, finally, for the first time. And, uh, and that's what fuels the other. So, yeah. Of course I would love like a bridesmaids type trajectory where I get some fun, yeah. silly role because my dream would be to be like the Melissa McCarthy character, you know, uh-huh. in a film. Like, I want to be the goofy odd person and be that part of me that I always feel like I am mm-hmm. and play that role and then that get me other roles like that. Yeah, that's that's the dream and then i would never stop doing stand up like joan rivers is my idol like that's mm-hmm. i want to work and i want to have dates on the calendar until i die like i yeah. want to have dates i can't make it to because i'm 85 and i die <laughs> you know like that's that's what my goal is so i think it all should feed each other uh-huh. and i think stand up is the one thing that's always me so i would always want to fall back on just telling my truth and just being me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be in Ozark. Oh,
1: really, yeah. I'm a,
0: uh, I, I filmed it earlier this year, but it was a reporter role, Uh but it's the biggest thing that I have coming up. So I had like five lines. If they keep them all, who knows they cut, I've been cut out. I was cut out of a steve carell movie that i was in but uh-huh. i still get residuals for it so yeah but i played a reporter <laughs> in it uh but i still get residuals for it so i don't know, it still works yeah. for me but uh um,
1: yeah.
0: i got to work with john stewart and steve carell and all those guys mm-hmm. and it was amazing but i don't have any footage of it and then <laughs> uh yeah i'm actually i'm and I don't, I've done all the math and I don't think they can cut me out of the scene that I'm in
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> playing a reporter in Ozark. So I'm in yeah, episode it, it... Uh, seven of season four okay. of Ozark.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I, I'm an Ozark fan, so I, I'll definitely see So am
0: it. I. It's <laughs> the biggest thing that I like outside of that Steve Carell movie that I did, this was, this was the first time I had been booked in something that I watched. Mm, so yeah. it was huge. I yeah. enjoyed the hell out of it. And, um, Let's hope they don't cut me out. So season four, uh, episode seven, I should be in Ozark.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I've got a quick question that I asked just about everybody. Uh, What do you know now being a stand-up comic that you wish you would have known when you started?
0: I covered a little of it, which was to, to make sure that you're just talking from your own perspective and you're not trying to be somebody else. I think Mm -hmm. all of us should be wary of whether we're emulating someone or we're just trying to be somebody that we think the audience likes. Mm -hmm. But like I said, that comes with time. There's nothing you can force about that. I think the other thing I wish that I would have known then when I first started that I know now is just throw it all against the wall. Like, throw everything out there, do Mm -hmm. all of it, start a YouTube channel and a whatever would have been out when I first started comedy, like Mm -hmm. Vine and all that stuff. What I wish I wish I would have not held back. I wish I Uh would have had a blog and a podcast and a this and a that and all that. And that I would have consistently done multiple things from the beginning to see what stuck instead Mm -hmm. of waiting until I was inspired to do a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I waited so long to think like, but I think that's just my mentality, maybe my generation where I (sighs) were like, we wait until we're really good at something or really Mm. inspired at something before we do something instead of like this Gen Z where they just do it, whether they're good at it or not. I I wish I would have had that mentality of just doing something because eventually you're going to be good at it Yeah, if you do it enough, you know what I mean?
1: And that makes and sense if, because the bad yeah. stuff that you do, people forget anyway. So it's they not, forget it all. Yeah. it doesn't like matter. Like it. if you yeah. suck
0: at it, who gives a shit? Once yeah. you get better at it, that's what they'll remember. And the hard, yeah. hardcore, true fans will be like, "We've been with you from the beginning." Yeah, and that's what I'm sad that I don't have is like outside of my standup fans like i don't have that in any other genre i waited for so long to start a podcast i waited for so long to do everything i wish i would have listened to i'm gonna he's gonna hate this but my husband he was right he told me (laughs) he's always right yeah Uh." he's like you should be doing this why aren't you doing that why aren't you doing this why don't you have a youtube channel about blah 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 and i'm like i don't know yet what i want my youtube channel to be called (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I can't start it. And if I would have had a nine year YouTube channel, I'd have four shows on Netflix right now. Like what yep. the hell? Why did I wait so long for everything?
1: It's weird because it's a lot of work for one thing. And, and second, you get so many false starts. Cause I've tried some things and sure. I, you, you get so many false starts and then you start doubting yourself and then you just walk away from it. And yep. that's kind of where I'm at everything except for this. So yeah, yeah. it's, it doesn't matter to me i'm not trying to be famous or anything but i was enjoying myself the stuff that i did so just do it cuz you enjoy it do it because it's, you enjoy it it's a whether outlet. it's yeah.
0: perfect or not that is mm. the number one thing that i yeah. would pass on to anyone is just do it cuz you enjoy it right as long as you're not hurting anybody do it and do it, co- it consistently you'll mm-hmm. get better at it why wait yeah. yeah you know no
1: doubt that's good advice So Lace, where can people find you if they want to see where you're going to be and what you're working on?
0: Uh, That's a great question. I need to update my website. I've been so bad since the pandemic happened. I just kind of uh, deleted the whole part of my website that says where I'm going to be. So now I just kind of post everything on Instagram and I feel like that's where most people go anyway, but please Uh uh, Instagram at Lace Larrabee, Twitter at Lace Larrabee. My podcast, the biggest thing people could do to to help me out or support me would be to follow Cheaties, and that's Cheaties like Wheaties, but with a C. My podcast co-host and I are both comedians. We both got cheated on and caught the guys in the same way, and right. so we commiserated over that, and we started uh-huh. a podcast, and we just released episode 152 today. And we started it over the pandemic. Uh, We work really hard at it. We make no money at it. Uh, Uh It is on iTunes. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Google (laughs) Podcasts, all those places. And um, some subscribers and reviews. Uh, Merch purchases are the best thing that could help us out. So people could just follow Chidi's podcast. That would be incredible. Yeah, Excellent.
1: Uh, And I have to ask, do you have a Frenchie over your shoulder there?
0: She is a um, <laughs> look at her. You, I don't know if you can see her eyes. Her eyes look ridiculous right now. Uh-huh. She is a uh, a little schnauzer mix.
1: Oh, is she's it? Okay, like a it looks, schnauzer looks kind poodle. of Frenchy uh, from here. Yeah, no,
0: Cammie, come here. She's half deaf, she's 13 and a half, so she can't hear. Oh, okay, any. so oh, this is my little beast, Hi, sweetie. There's my little beast. Yes, yeah. so her name's Cammie. She needs a haircut. I give her haircuts now because. She started having seizures a year ago. Oh, Um, yeah. So she's on seizure meds and she does great with them. Uh, She's doing much better now than she was a little over a year ago. And uh, so, yeah, I I like to give her her own haircuts and stuff now. So she's not (laughs) as pretty as she could be. She's a good girl. She's a good girl. Yeah. She's a
1: good girl well lace thank you so much for being on the show I really admire what you're doing there in the Atlanta scene for the other comedians making that space where they can be creative without feeling threatened and that's fantastic and I'm Thanks, glad Scott. you're doing that and you're funny I, i'll I'll tell you that you know oh, as a as a comedian I always tell people that I'm always like analyzing when I Watch comedians, I'm always getting too much in my head, trying to extract knowledge. Yeah, but yours, I was actually able to relax and just enjoy the show. So, oh, my heart, oh, that makes me feel so good. Thanks,
0: buddy. I appreciate. I hope that's. (laughs) I hope that's my experience. That I hope that's why I I like that. Also, I just want to say, I know you complimented me about like, you know, helping other comics and putting it out there. So I have two two things I want to say. I have had everything from uh, one of the people, the very first class that I ever taught, she is now a writer for Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. Yeah. Not because of me. Granted, I just helped her with stand-up. She was already a writer and all these things beforehand. Mm-hmm. And uh, she really like attacked Twitter really hard, like over, uh-huh. uh, over the pandemic. And she got really famous on Twitter, went viral, like crazy, got like 300,000 extra followers. Like, I mean, went it went nuts. And then jimmy kimmel hired her and now she's a writer now she lives in la she's doing that right so i have everything from that to as of yesterday i was on twitter last night and i'm scrolling and i see a video of the latest psycho on a plane who's acting (laughs) crazy who gets taken off the plane by the air marshal and it Uh was another student of mine (laughs) (laughs) When you thank me for putting out comedy and helping out people. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I do good things like, you know, help people who end up being super successful on Jimmy Kimmel. And then also up until yesterday, the latest video of a lady who she, she brought her own sound system, which I got to give her. I did tell people to be prepared. Yeah. So she brought her own sound system with a mic on her face and a speaker on her hip. And she set it all up. And it was 20 minutes before the plane landed there's videos all over the internet now of it and uh and she starts screaming about the pandemic started because of something something on the internet i don't know what she's saying but she's like getting attacked by both sides by like the floor and i recognized her immediately i was like i know her that's somebody who took my class holy shit! and then i looked through my phone and she texted me like in november last year and was like, hey, I'm really, I'm going crazy. I'm dying to get back on stage. Uh, I want to come back up to Atlanta because she lives part-time in Puerto Rico and then part-time in Atlanta. And she's like, mm -hmm. I'm dying to get back on stage. I'd love to take your class again. And where can I get on stage? I was like, girl, there's probably not going to be anything till like 2022. So Uh, I don't know if I can (laughs) help you. And uh, yeah, she figured out a way to take herself to stardom. So I've got two famous people who came from my (laughs) class. So they run the gamut. Yeah. Listen. So I approach everyone the story. same way. Yeah. I approach yeah. everyone the same way. The <laughs> way they take it is, the you know, I, I have nothing to do with that. So
1: <laughs> thanks again for being on the show. I, nice. I really appreciate it. I learned stuff and I think everybody cool. that listens are going to learn stuff. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, thank
0: Scott. you.